Hello and welcome to the Monarchy and Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. All right, guys, got a great episode for you this week where I sit down with one of the true originals, Tyler Christiansen. Tyler is a veteran U.S. soldier currently employed by the U.S. Air Force working as a human performance director. Prior to this, Tyler was the Tactical Strength and Conditioning Programs Manager at the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Tyler's worked with tactical athletes and special operations forces community, including 7th Special Forces Group, a special missions unit in the Great DC area, a TSAC coordinator at the NSCDA, an exercise physiologist at the Army Physical Fitness Research Institute, and as a contractor in Baghdad in Iraq. Additionally, Tyler has worked as a sport athlete at Iowa State University, Illinois State University, and the Colorado Rockies Major League Baseball Organization. He's a certified strength conditioning specialist with distinction, a tactical strength and conditioning facilitator with distinction, and a registered strength and conditioning coach with distinctions. He was recognized as the National Strength Conditioning Association's 2019 Tactical Strength Conditioning Practitioner of the Year. In this episode, Tyler talks about his role as a tactical strength conditioning coordinator and later manager with the NSCA, how his training for tactical strength conditioning evolved over the last 12 years, the cultural differences between working with the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Army, and how he measures program success. Just a final note, guys, before we get into this episode, I just want to make it clear that the views presented within this episode are Tyler's own views, and they do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or any of its components. Now, with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Good morning, Tyler, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Sorry it took uh, a minute to get this scheduled, but I'm glad you had patience with me. So hey, No problem, Tyler. Obviously, I know you're a very, very busy dude. And as I always say, you know, good things come to those who wait. So, you know, you're a guy I've been wanting <laughs> to speak to for a while. Uh, obviously, previous guest John Hoffman had on, spoke very, very highly of you and said, if there's one person I need to speak to, it was yourself. So I'm glad we could hook this up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad for the opportunity. And it's it's amazing seeing how the tactical strength and conditioning is just spreading like wildfire across the world. Uh, Australia, as, as we were talking earlier, you know, kind of leading the way, UK is starting to pick it up. United States has carried that ball for a minute. And yeah, it's just amazing to see, to see this tactical movement really grow. So. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And obviously, like, you know, I've, I've looked into some of the stuff you've done in your career and, you know, really want to dive into some of that stuff as well. But obviously, for anyone who hasn't come across you, can you just tell us about, you know, where you started out in your career, dude, and, you know, where you're currently at? Yeah, so I started at Iowa State and Illinois State working within uh, the collegiate uh, departments within a, the, the university. And then after I graduated, I, uh, this, I had an opportunity to go over to Iraq and be a contractor. So I went, went over and I did that. Um, as soon as I came back, um, I was the uh, Colorado Rockies. I saw a job. I was looking in, in full time, like job search mode. The Colorado Rockies in 2007, uh, they had a job posting and I sat there and I was like, well, I don't think I'm qualified for this, you know, that type of thing. Um, and one of the biggest things that I always tell people is like, if you hear no, who cares? Right. Yeah. And so yeah. this is kind of when I formed that opinion. I'm like, eh, worst thing I can figure out or that I can hear is no. Other than that, I'm not losing anything. So I applied to work for the Colorado Rockies as a strength coach, ended up getting the position. Uh, Brian Jordan, he was the, the, my supervisor back then, him, Brad Andrus was the head guy. And I know Brian and talk to him on a regular basis now. So I'm like, Brian, why the hell did you hire me back then? He goes, dude, you are coming from Iraq. Like, that is awesome. Like, yeah. Uh, but I did very well at the job. Uh, in that off season, um, I took an internship in the off season in Colorado Springs. So I was with their double A team. So in American baseball, you have low A, single A, double A, triple A, then professional. So I was at double A before and uh, in the off season, I was really hoping to obtain the triple A job in Colorado Springs. So I moved to Colorado Springs and in the off season took an internship at the NSCA national strength and conditioning association. And while I was there, um, that's kind of when the tactical strength and conditioning movement within the NSCA started taking place. 
you talk to a lot of different people like, no, we were doing strength and conditioning with military way before. That's fine, but it's NSCA specific. When they started their movement with Mark Stevenson, Jay Dawes, um, and Rob Rogers was there at the time. So I decided I no longer wanted to work in baseball, that I wanted to work in this tactical field. Well, the problem was there were real no tactical strength and conditioning jobs but there was research positions within the military. So I ended up taking this position at the Army Physical Fitness Research Institute for the uh, Command and General Staff College. Essentially when uh, uh, majors want to become Lieutenant Colonels, this is typically the school they go through. So I did a research protocol there for a year. Um, I will say um, it was a time in my life where I learned that kind of repetitive research-based uh, things are not my cup of tea. I'm not saying they're not needed. I'm just saying it's, it's not my cup of tea. I, I have an ADD personality. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place and, and uh, I, I like that where things change up. Um, about a year into that job and, and um, it was, I did a thousand um, rehearsals of this uh, research protocol. Like, Good thing, I can, I can take somebody's blood pressure still to this day while they're running on a treadmill, you know? Things like that, that, that it, it's, it's the good that came out of that. Um, well, the NSCA, Mark Stevenson specifically, ended up calling me and saying, hey, I'm taking off to work for the Navy. Um, Rob Rogers is moving into my position. Would you like to come as the coordinator? So, without thinking, I was like, okay, when do you want me there? I was like, I just need to give my employer enough time because, you know, we don't want to ever burn bridges, right? So gave them the notification and I ended up moving back to Colorado. I was there for um, two, three years. And then uh, this is, again, right when the program's kind of blossoming, uh, the POTIF, Preservation of the Force and the Family, just opened up. Um, and I ended up going to Washington, D.C. to work for this special mission. And I was just talking to you earlier, Chris Smith, you had him on the program. He was there at the same time I was. And that's like some of the people you have on your, your podcast, like, I know him. I go, where is this guy getting all this stuff? Um, but Chris Smith was there, worked with that organization for a while. Um, and then, so... I'm an outdoorsy type of person. Uh, DC is is a cement jungle, right? Everything's concrete, and you know it's the museum, the history, stuff like that. Amazing, but I like to run around in the mountains, the beach, the fishing, the you know outdoors types of event. Um, so I ended up going to work for Seventh Group Special Forces. So this would be in 20, 2014-ish. No. 2012, somewhere like 11, 12, somewhere right in there. Uh, went work for the Seventh Group Special Forces, um, and there I absolutely love that that job. Like the community, the people, like everything came to kind of like fruitful, fruitful fulfillment there for me. Uh, the outside environment, the beach, the fishing, the, you know, all that type of stuff, you know, paddleboarding, whatever, had everything right there, right in my little dome. Well, in 2014, um, as this tactical strength and conditioning stuff is new, Congress all of a sudden pumped the brakes and said, hey, why are we spending this much money? You need to justify your program. Um, not just our program across the United States. So needless to say, I was kicked to the curb and essentially I wasn't technically fired. The government cut the funding, therefore my job left, but it was the first time in my life that, that I felt like I was fired. And, and that was, that was a big ego check time. Um, cause then instead of having your next thing lined up, I was scrambling to find my next thing. Um, luckily couple months later, I ended up back at the NSCA and I was running the tact, I was the manager of the tactical strength and conditioning program. There's a couple years that the program kind of went stagnant. Um, there was no real movement coming out of the program. No one was at within the program. Um, and so then that's, that's when I came in and then Matt Thompson, one of the best assistants I've ever had, Matt Thompson and myself, Brent Alvar, um, Jay Dawes, uh, John Hoffman, some of those those guys, they that's when we came up with the idea of developing the TSAC Tactical Strength and Conditioning Practitioner Course. And essentially, what this was was um, 
the fundamentals. Like if I was a freshman in college, this is the course I would want to take. So it's the fundamentals of tactical strength and conditioning. Um, what's Vern Griffin? Griffith, excuse me. He asked me once. He runs one of the courses now. Uh, when we were running the first one, he's like, "Wait, so you're trying to sell tactical strength and conditioning?" I go, "No." The audience is tactical individuals. We're just bringing the fundamentals of strength and conditioning to them. And needless to say, this program just blossomed and it really kind of started the movement again within tactical strength and conditioning within the NSCA. Um, so I developed a few programs there and uh, I, made it, I made like a promise of goal that I would not go looking for another job nor would I do anything until I set up these three different courses that I wanted to set up. Sure enough, as soon as I finished the last one, I get a call from Paul Goldberg at, at 10th group. And he's like, dude, you need to apply for this job. So I look at this job and it's a GS-14 working for the Air Force. Um, GS-14 within the government system, it goes one to 15. You know, 15 is clearly the highest and then you get into the executive stuff. Uh, but it was one of the only GS-14s in, our, in the nation. And I'm like, well, uh, eh. and I was like, you know what? Go back to my, my, my advice to, that I give others and that I try to constantly tell myself, or somebody here is no, right? So I did it, ended up getting the position, and now I'm here um, working at the time. It was the Battlefield, and Battlefield Airmen Training Group, and... Um, we've now, we started at a group level and now we've stepped up to a wing. So we're a larger organization. Um, when we first started this, again, talking about the, the, the HP human performance staff, we started, there's probably a group of 20 of us that started this thing out and now we're almost up to 200. Wow. So it's, it's, it's growing significantly. And at 200, it's not just strike coaches. Um, it's a multidisciplinary team uh, and to include support personnel that, that support the mission um, within our group. So, but yeah, now we're, we're uh, it's a startup organization. Um, you know, you've started up a podcast. I'm sure you have other things that you've kind of, if you're an entrepreneur, you need to be prepared for headaches, change, and mistakes and then learning from those mistakes and all that type of stuff. Um, and that's, that's, I love that stuff, but we're going on to three years and then we're almost there to hit that kind of steady, steady state. So uh, needless to say, it's keeping me busy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's where we are now. Man, that is awesome, Tyler. I mean, talk about a varied and like, you know, really progressive career helping to build out within like organization organizational structures but also working to develop education as well throughout so that is awesome dude um yeah i, I fully hear you dude from the entrepreneurial side of things um you've got to be able to be adaptable you've got to deal with those headaches and you got to be able to flip um mm -hmm. i think being a strength coach you're probably better set than anyone to be an entrepreneur because you have to be the most adaptable person in the room obviously yeah. work in the collegiate sector as well you know any plan you had in place can be shot down within five minutes, depending on who the head coach is. So it's like, all right, cool. Let's change this. Yeah. Up. Yeah. And one, one time that comes to mind when I was a coordinator at the NSCA, we, before this big preservation of the force and family contract came out, the NSCA had a little baby contract just with 10th group for the guys to be able to come down and work out. Uh, being the coordinator, you know, I was kind of the one leading that charge of, of, uh, okay, what are we doing today? Um, or, you know, what the programming is and stuff like that. But when the contract first started, we, we found that we had some days we would come into work at, you know, military typically likes to work out in the morning. So first thing you come into work, 6 a.m., well, it'd be a little bit before that, but come in and then we'd have two guys, but I was prepared for more. Then the next day come in and there's a hundred dudes waiting to be trained. So at that time, I, I think I got very, I got pretty damn good at shooting from the hip. Yeah. Uh, the aspect of being able to adjust on the fly and, and look at this, you know, look at like 
program design in general is like goal setting. You got this massive problem. How do you break it down and solve the problem, right? Uh, and so I think I got kind of really good at just adjusting on the fly to solve the bigger problem, like breaking it down into smaller, you know, tasking people where they need to go, that type of thing. And I'll, I will say I probably took that a little bit too far. Uh, and then I started to rely on being too adaptable and therefore my planning started to lack. Okay. Uh, so I had to later reel that back in and like, okay, it's good to have a mix. It's good to have a, a plan in place and then adjust if needed. So instead of just shooting from the hip all day. So. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. When I say it, such a wide and varied career, dude. What and you mentioned there as well when you give them the overview, you're, you're an outdoors guy. You know, you like to be active. What what got you into strength and conditioning? Why did you want to pursue this as a career path? You know, obviously, I take it you're athletic as a kid, and then what mm -hmm. did you just blossom out of there? Uh, I peaked in high school, if anything, in athletics type thing, and then after that, I was, I was one of the strength coaches that were always I was always hurt. I'd wrestle hurt my knees and then I'd be out sitting on the sideline and then I'd play soccer hurt my knee be out on the sideline um so it really didn't go you know it wasn't really driven on the the sport aspect of it I was in the military at the time and I, I got a scholarship to go to Iowa State um and it's for leadership and potential to succeed essentially um I was a, a, a poor individual single parent five siblings um, and so, but I, I displayed leadership skills. So that's what this is, Christina Hickson scholarship. Um, but for me to get that scholarship, like they awarded it to me, but to be able to get it, I needed to choose my major. Well, I was gone to military training and this is back before cell phones. So it's not like you can just call me up and, and get my answer and stuff like that. My mom had to solve the problem for me. So she talked to the counselor, well, he likes, he's constantly active. He's constantly, you know, doing this and playing this sport and doing this and stuff like, so essentially my mom picked my, my major for me. Uh, so I went to, went to school, checked it out and, and uh, evidently rode that wave until where I'm at today. So. And I mean, was that uh, then linked? Cause obviously you said you finished up at college and then you went out as a contractor to Iraq was that once again, just working with uh, guys from the military and then coming back to work in Colorado once again? Yeah, yeah. So I went to work with the guys in the military. And then uh, while I was there, I started doing training for the guys and, and men and women. Um, and then because I had a little bit of a strength and conditioning background at that time, it made sense that I used what I used with sport athletes with the tactical type people and then I come back and figure out that there's this tactical strength and conditioning thing just starting up and I'm like that's what I was trying to do like but you know like it's funny like looking back and I'm sure all coaches do this is looking back at the the services you provided back then and I'm just like oh what what was I thinking <laughs> but you know I did the best I could at that time um and I continued to grow from there so I think that's the biggest thing is just that learning curve. I'm the same. I look back at some of my early programs I wrote when I first got in the field and I was like, wow, wow. I'm surprised no one, uh, you know, either got injured or like just the volume was crazy or the intensity was nuts on yeah. some days. I was like, wow. I just didn't think of the bigger picture stuff at all. Um, yeah. But obviously you're saying, you know, going from collegiate into double uh, A baseball and then into the NSA structure. So, Obviously, as a coordinator, you were very much delivering face-to-face -face with the guys from 10 Group and stuff like that, and then you came back yeah. later on in your career as a manager. How did you find that difference of coming back into it less you know, face-to-face -face and more of that managerial role of managing that program? You said it come, what, just quite stagnant? Where Was it a case of... No one, stagnant? Was in the, yeah, no one was in the seat for a couple of years, yeah. so no one was really in the driver's seat of, the, of the, that crazy bus called tactical strength and conditioning yeah. um the, that aspect and it's it's funny now that i've kind of gone through it like i went from a coach you know 40 hours a week on the the floor with special forces dudes day in and day out for you know years and then when you go to the nsca man in the managing aspect 
it's like if if I'm down coaching, that just means things for the greater purpose are not getting done. Yes, coaching is absolutely important, but it's more than just one team, one, you know, we've got a, you know, at the when I first started, it was just me. And I have to service military, police, and fire across the, I mean, I will say the US, but, you know, we're working with the cats out in, in Australia, you know, it's international. Um, it was, had exposure to international, but wasn't truly international at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, besides the guys in, in Australia, uh, they, were, they had a good foothold. But talking about TSAC specifically, um, but the, the transition from going from coaching every day and then being an office jockey was a hard transition at first. Yeah. I still wanted to coach. I still wanted to do this, but I had to put my wants and needs on the back burner and, and see the greater good, the greater purpose of what we were trying to, mm-hmm. to develop there. Um, at the time it was the, the practitioner course. Um, but, and I found that instead of looking at military police and fire differently, I looked at, okay, one person trying to service these three different areas if I focused on military, then I focus on fire, then I focus like that. You need a team to be able to develop that kind of content, you, you know, but it was just me. And then later Matt Thompson came on and Brent Alvar volunteered a lot of times along with Jay Dawes. Um, but when I, when I changed the way I look at the problem set of how are we all, how am I going to service these different things? I looked at the mindset of, how are we all the same? And that's where the, the concept of the practitioner course came from. It's like, okay, every the, it's just the fundamentals of strength and conditioning, and that's what we all have in common. Yeah. 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 So that's that's kind of, but yeah, it was a, I, I just keep going down these little, little trails here. Uh, but to get back to your, your question is, yeah, it is a hard transition. Um, I've seen people transition from coaching on the floor to the management, to the director type roles where it's more saving the world one email at a time versus one rep at a time. Um, And I've seen people get into that seat and then just like, nope, I like it back here. Um, it's, It's my recommendation to anybody listening is like, you know, like absolutely try it out but i'm telling you it's not for everybody some people are just content they just want to coach that's their passion and that's they don't want the extra headaches that come with being a director and the politics and all those different type of things yeah i I hear you buddy and it's it's one of those things isn't it as we we go through our careers and we climb that sort of ladder as well it's very much the higher you go the more you get removed from the floor and as coaches we are people uh, people you know we like to interact with people um but then like you say it's very much from a business standpoint of being able to get away from working in the business to working on the business you know like you say having that bigger picture mentality to grow things forward um i, I didn't realize you were there then say when and help create the, the tsac uh, practitioner or facilitator sort of qualification so mm-hmm. what was that like then just like first of all to get it built out and then to try and you know roll it out across organizations yeah so this was if, if we back up a little bit, so the first time I was at the NSCA, or technically the second time, when I was a coordinator at the NSCA, uh, and we had that little contract with 10th group, right? Okay, my system that I had in place started working, but my system would get disrupted when I got a new individual come into the program. Because now I would have to allocate one of the interns, either, or one of the coaches, other coaches, to teach this person the fundamentals. And then so in 20, I'd be around 2009, 2010-ish. Um, so I recognized that there's a problem there. And then when I went and worked in DC, I found the same problem existed. So then I was like, ah, education. If we just educate these guys and girls, um, then, then that becomes my force multiplier. Right. So I started to 
like at noon, one hour, you have to complete these five classes. And then I make you a program that I, but you have to go through those five classes. Well, they like that. They have me at one location. They like that so much. They brought me down to their schoolhouse and wanted it implemented there, but on a greater level. So they figured, and it's rightfully thinking, is if we educate these people coming into our program, now we don't have to do it out here. That they'll know how to, we're not trying to make them strength coaches. We're, we're just trying to empower them to take care of themselves. Uh, if the strength coach isn't around or, you know, the strength coach is busy with somebody else that, that they'll be able to understand the fundamentals that are there. My transition down to seventh group, part of that interest in having me go down there with that team was the education piece as well. So it went down to seventh group and we implemented the same system. Um, and then when I went to the NSCA, I, they had the old TSAC facilitator course in place. And, and this is the content I used to deliver as a coordinator. And the facilitator course, again, greatest intent in the world, we're teaching people how to squat, but we're, we're also teaching them the prep cycle. Yeah. And it's, it's like, do these really go together? Additionally, um, at the time, if that course was ever taught, then I would go out and teach the course. When I set up the practitioner course, we got other people and we just gave them the thumbs up. We, we certified that they're able to teach this course. And so we set it up so that they would deliver the content. That means I can stay in the office and keep developing more and more programs and, and kind of push more and more policy and kind of work for the greater good yeah. uh, of trying to open up jobs, make people realize that there's a need for these jobs and how much money they can save and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it was, it was um, that, I mean, and I can't stress enough, Ren Alvar, Jadaz, Matt Thompson, like, they we ran into a lot of roadblocks both internally and externally of how we communicate this and stuff like that but again i think with with those great minds and collaboration and no one being like no this is mine stay out you know type of thing but with a collaboration john hoffman was also in that process rob hartman uh vernon griffith as i mentioned there's a lot of a lot of the great great excuse me people that would review that program and, and what we were developing to make sure that it wasn't just my vision or Brent Alvar's vision, um, but they looked at it and we, we, we made sure we were catering to the masses versus just a single population. So, yeah. No, that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. I mean, how, how's that program growing now? Obviously, because you were saying, what, 2009, 2010, started build out in that. So how's that rolled out now through not only from the military, but also like fire and, you know, police? Um, fire and police, Mandy Nice with the, the NSCA right now, she's the public service uh, manager. So they took essentially my position, uh, Nate Palin came in after me, he's now moved on. Um, and then they brought in Jason Salu, I'm probably butchering his last name. So Mandy and Jason run the, their, what I used to do back when. Um, so Jason's does the tactical specific and then Mandy does police and fire. Um, so essentially, yeah, they're coming up with toolkits for military, or excuse me, police and fire, military. Again, kind of these items that can help, but Mandy specifically on police and fire as that's just starting to catch up with the military. And then Jason uh, is working on, hey, okay, how do we, how do we keep the momentum going? How do we keep growing this program? How do we continue to educate our coaches? How do we supply opportunities to our senior coaches? Um, and how do we keep our senior coaches uh, engaged, right? Um, so they're working on that now, uh, but I feel like I didn't answer your question fully. Say it one more time. <laughs> I guess so how, how do you see that? Uh, that program, you know, from its infancy to where it's now, you know, how's it rolled out, especially through different groups like the, the military, the police and the well, fire? The Army's adapting it um, within their training, the U.S. Army. So that's a massive lift right there. Um, I'm trying to, trying to quantify this. I don't know the specific numbers, but I know the dollars associated with it. And it's like, 
<laughs> okay. Now this is talking in nonprofit. Okay, so NSCA is a nonprofit organization. The TSAC program prior to the development of the practitioner course probably made you know around 10k, 20k, um, and that was a very successful year. Mm -hmm. I would say we're hitting millions now. Um, and again, all that, like I'm not saying the NSCA is making this, that gets shoved back into the company to help development, again, of the greater good. So it's not somebody, it is, all this money is just going into somebody's pocket. So it gets re reinvested back into the, the organization. But yeah, now it's, it, it'll, I think it's safe to say millions. Uh, so it's really kind of, it started, and, and the thing I look at it as is, if you're a tactical individual and you take this class, it's introducing you to a whole, you know, pipeline of people. Certification. Um, we, we, I set it up in a way. We, I gotta stop saying I. We set it up in a way that it's not just going to a four-day course. Like, yeah, you go to the four-day course, good. You get CEUs from that, and you get the opportunity to sit for the TSACF exam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. TSACF is the TSAC facilitator uh, certification that just says, hey, um, it, the intent of the TSACF is for somebody in military, police, and fire. They have their regular job, which may be an infantryman. It may be, uh, you know, whatever it is, but they have to train their peers, right? So the TSACF is intended for those individuals that we recognize you have a full-time job, but your, one of your secondary duties is to train your peers and, and things like that. So that's TSACF. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you get the, the exam prep for that and you get the opportunity to sit for that exam. And it that model and then the aspect that we were empowering our members, uh, NSCA members to deliver this course. And it's just, it, it took off. Like it's, it's crazy the number that they're doing. I actually just got a request today from Mandy Nice asking if I wanna go teach a class um, as they're starting to prepare for post COVID and starting to teach these classes again this summer. Um, so yeah, it's, everybody wishes, a lot of people probably wish that they had an impact on the industry, the you know legacy level impact. Uh, and the team that worked on the practitioner course, I think that, that we achieved that. Like we made significant, mostly here in the United States, but um, we had some, uh, who were the guys? Norway, I wanna say. You know, during the last couple of years that I was at the NSCA, Australia, Norway, Germany, like it was starting to kind of start to, to uptick to all these other other countries so it's really exciting to see that so yeah it was it was yeah an amazing um growth that took place not only just in the united states but also internationally that's cool dude because i was going to ask if you'd seen it grow internationally if it was very much just nationally within the u.s but that's really cool to hear that you're spreading globally as well and getting that buy-in you know across the globe um one thing I was going to ask you, Tyler, as well, because obviously you've been in the field now for, what, 12, 13 years plus, you know, in there. How, how do you, from your perspective, how would you say things have changed with regards to tactical strength conditioning from back in the day when you were you know, out in Iraq contracting or working with the guys from 10th Group to where things are now? What would you say that change has occurred? When, when it, tactical strength and conditioning first started, in my personal opinion, I think it was hijacked by advertisement and equipment um, suppliers in the aspect of you, they want to market to tactical. And how do they do that? They show tactical people working out in their tactical equipment. Yeah. Right. And then I'm not saying you can't ever do that, but that's like a small fraction of the time. Um, so that for them in their advertisement to be able to show, hey, we're working with tactical, tactical can use this. That's the message they gave. And then a lot of these young people coming into the industry, 
or maybe just ill-informed people coming into the industry, they try to re replicate some of those commercials that they see, thinking that they have to be in their kit, they have to be able to do this, okay? American football players, I've never seen an American football player go into the strength and conditioning room with their pads on. Yep. Never seen it. But why do we think it's okay that that's what we do with tactical individuals? Mark Stevenson, I think, was the one that said this, and I'm not 100% sure. It's, it's not about the time in the, in the gear. It's your time outside of the gear that we build that physiological profile so that when, you're, are, when, you, when you are in that gear, then you, then you can present those technical and tactical skills. You have that physiological foundation, energy systems, to, to really kind of um, to develop, to, to do your job, right? And so that's, that's one of the big things is, is uh, I think specificity, you know, is movement classification, energy system, strength qualities, joint vectors, uh, joint angles, external stimuli and common injuries, right? But somehow we started off with replicating movements. And I think it really took us for a loop. And I'm guilty of that too. I, when I left the NSCA and went out to Washington, DC, the NSCA called and said, hey, would you like to give a presentation on close quarter combat and some of the exercises you can do to prepare for that? Right away, I was like, yep, I'm on it. So I start down this hole and I'm doing bands with pistol squeezes and plate pushes and things to replicate kicking in doors and, and all this. And then about halfway through the development of that program, I just like, what the hell am I doing? Uh -huh. I was like, and then that's when I realized like, these are things that you can do and they're fun to do, but that's not strength and conditioning. You know, the all soldiers, they have a, a book of common soldier tasks that you can, you can do or that you're supposed to be able to do. And if we break down everything in there, essentially you're the jack of all trades and masters of none, mm -hmm. okay? You don't want to be over, like strength is an inverted U, right? Either Newton's first and second law, right? At, what is it? At, at, you're at rest until you're compelled to change by forces, right? And then the inverse relationship between mass and acceleration, okay? So we're either weak as hell or we're, we've got too much mass and we're too strong, therefore we're slow, Yeah. right? And so it's the aspect of like, how do we get them to the, the pinnacle of that? So, okay, I, I did it again. This is the second time. <laughs> I feel like I, uh, yeah, I went down a rabbit hole and then did I answer your question fully? Yeah, yeah, you did, Nate. I, I like that though as well. Just um, like you say, there is a place and time for guys to have some specific drills. And I do agree with that, like, you know, being in their kit, but obviously our role is very much developing those those general qualities that those athletes or those individuals need mm -hmm. to do their job or their sport as best as they can. I've, I really like that one about like, you know, we, you'd never get like your, your football players in the gym in full pads and helmets. So stuff lifting. Um, I, I can't remember now I'll, I'll steal it. I'll claim it as my own just because I can at the moment, but the best one I've ever heard from strength conditioning standpoint was like, you know, as coaches, all we're doing is upgrading the engine and reinforcing the chassis. We're not teaching the guy to drive the car. So that's, yeah. uh, that's one I've always enjoyed myself. So yeah, 100% agree with you on that, buddy. Now, obviously for yourself, Tyler, you are currently, you're down in Texas, US Air Force that as well. How did that, uh, obviously you said you applied for that role um, when that came up. What, what's it been like moving into the Air Force? You know, what's the culture like there after being with 7th Group? Yeah, so the difference, and this again, in my, my personal opinion, and the outside looking in, the army would just like, hey, let's get it done. Yeah. And then show me the show me how to do it. The Air Force is a lot more analytical. Um, they still allow you to to get things done, but you better come with facts, data and back up with what you're doing. So it's it's definitely, yeah, I would say more analytical. And then the aspect, throw an extra layer on that is we went from, so in the Air Force, it, it goes up much higher, but for sakes of this conversation, 
uh, you've got a wing underneath that, you have a group underneath that, you have a squadron underneath that, you have a flight. So we went from a group up to a wing. So we're a much larger organization. And one of the biggest things that I think that we're battling now is just change. Uh, institutional change, policy change. And we're, when we stood up to, to a, a wing, so it's underneath the wing, you have two entities. You have the training group that do the technical tactical. And then we have HPSG, Human Performance Support Group. Yeah. And we stood up from nothing to a group. So we're missing policies, procedures, you know, because this is the first one in the DOD. So it's not like we can do a copy paste feature. There's certain aspects that we can. Um, but, you know, one of the, the disservices that we're, that I'm guilty of is preparing for change management to, to prepare people like, Hey, you know, change, a lot of change is coming. Um, it's no longer just go write your program and, you know, everybody just kind of interject where they feel like they should. Now we have to do a greater planning cycle of how we all work together. It's not just, you know, Sally doing her inputs here, Jim doing his inputs here, but starting to get all these different pieces heading in the same direction. Uh, one of the things I like saying is like, I'm, I'm, I heard the cats, you know, I just got to get them all <laughs> headed in the same direction uh, with standardization uh, across our board, by, but still letting them have, uh, like I believe wholly that strength and conditioning is an art form. Uh, there, there, you know, some people say there's a million ways to skin a cat. Um, and, how do I empower my people to be able to show their art form and, but yet still get them going down that highway, their left and right limit. So and that's, that's what we're working on now. And then of course the whole integration, not only within our SMEs and human performance, dietitians, psychologists, spiritual, uh, strength coaches, athletic trainers, physical therapists, um, I say psychologists, and we have an opsite too. And so not only these SMEs all working together, but we also need to integrate into the tactical training yep. um, as well, because, you know, we all need to work together for this to be successful. And that's where we're starting to get to now. No, that's no, cool. I've seen that a lot in different programs as well, where it's very much like, not managed holistically. And it's like you say, it's very much like almost a siloed approach. Like everyone's doing their own little thing and nothing marries mm -hmm. up and it's, everything gets mismanaged within that program. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I'll probably like two questions on that. Then it's just like, what what's the the program structure look like now for the guys who are going through that? And that's the first part. And then the second part would be, how's that program structure changed? You know, going from like you say, group level up to wing level now. Mm -hmm. So originally, you know, if we look at how was it before, essentially. Sally was doing her own thing over here. Jim was doing their own, like everybody was just kind of in their own little silo, even amongst like our six different SMEs that we have on our team. The psychologists will work on their stuff over here. The dietitian would work over here. They would work over here. And then the strength coach, they would just make a program. It's almost like a whiteboard workout. Yeah. There's, there's probably meso level planning that took place, but there was no macro level planning. Um, so that's how it was done before. So what I developed was a system and it's called a course map. And it's a course map is a military um, lingo for planning. Okay. Because they each, we have, I think nine, 10 different courses. Actually, I think it's 17 different courses in these pipelines that we have to develop our, our airmen. So in the course map process, essentially what I have, it starts with the, the strength coach. Um, they, they talk to the cadre and look at the cadre's course map, what they're doing in the tactical training. We're in a unique training environment. I can tell you what a kid is doing on day one of training or day 246. We know what they're going to be doing. So there's, there's uh, you know, no reason why you should not be planning. So our strength coaches will look at the tactical training, look how hard it is cognitively and physically. Um, from there, they will develop their strength and conditioning program. When they develop their program, I expect them to give me their push-pull volume, give me their, their um, push-pull ratios, give me their total volume, their distance of traveling underneath load, distance traveling swimming, 
and distance traveling um, running. So we start to get those type of things in place. And then of course their RPE on their, and their workout intent and a couple other things. Then when they finish that up, then the AT, PTs, OTs, uh, AT, occupational, OT is occupational therapist. Okay, so they specialize shoulder down. Uh, ATs, athletic trainers, you guys are familiar with those. And then the PT is physical therapist, or I think you, you guys call them physios too? Yeah, physiotherapy, yep. Okay. Um, and then they look at that program, and I don't want a physical therapist telling a strength coach what exercises they want them to do. I want them to look at the wave top of their program, meaning the, what the data says. If their push to pull ratio is 300 to one, yeah, we need to look into why. Because yeah. that's way, 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 way out of whack. Okay. So, but they can ask those questions and we can get to the why. Um, and then they'll also look at trending injuries and give their corrective exercises that will get integrated into that, that program uh, that, that the coaches are making. Also, while this is going on, the dietitian, they're going to look at the tactical training and the, the, the uh, strength and conditioning workout and then come up with their fueling strategies for each day of training. So now if the dietitian is not able to make it to that workout, then that's when instead of me, okay, hey, just eat some pizza today, it's fine. I give an educated input and consistent input of what our dietitians want to achieve across our pipeline. So it's no longer just my opinion. I am saying what the dietitian wants me to say. Um, so the dietitian does that. We do hydration checks, body fat, things like that. And then um, spiritual, they look at opportune times to work on uh, talking about transcendent uh, cause, like what's your greater purpose, what's your what's your thing? And then the psychologist, then, uh, you know, if we're trying in tactical training, we're trying to bring up team, uh, an attribute of, of a, a team player. Okay, well, we're doing a team event in strength and conditioning. Now we can reiterate that cause. Um, and then additionally, on top of that, uh, the we have four or five psychs for thousands of kids. So our psychologists aren't always going to be at every session. Mm -hmm. However, we can utilize the strength coaches. Um, let's say they wanted to work on arousal control. Um, the aspect that uh, we have a circuit today. So me with my strength coach hat is, okay, arousal control. We're going to work on down arousal. You complete one round of the circuit, but you can't move to the next round until your heart rate's underneath 120. So now instead of a coach just saying, get your heart rate down, slow down your heart rate, come on, breathe. We have education that's already in place that we say, hey, okay, this is down around, this is tactical breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth, one, two, three, one, two, three, you know, that type of thing that our psychologists taught our strength coaches. So now we have an extra coaching cue when we get to that rest period and we're like, okay, tactical breathing, this is how we, you know, and give the actual cues that are associated with it instead of just implicitly like, just slow down your heart rate. It's not that hard. And it's like, let's, let's teach them these skills. Um, anyway, so then we just plan out the whole year. Now, a lot of people are like, well, things change. And it's like, yeah, that's absolutely fine. But we still have a tentative vector heading in to the future. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, we have, so if we do the planning and we have a lot of technology, we, we have smarter bases, our data management system. We have uh, Omega Wave, Zephyr, Fatigue Science, Dari, Sparta Plates, Urine Gravity Testing. We have all these different things. So we're planning and then we, we say, okay, this is what's planned. Did this get done? Right. And then when it, when we're on the backside, we also have a research flight that supports us that can go in and look at, okay, wait, we had great success here or we had great, you know, big failure. We can look back and tell why, or we can not the absolute why, but we can kind of vector where success or failure took place of greater understanding. So yeah, it's, it's quite the massive project. And especially when everybody's geographically, you know, dislocated all over the United States, um, it's, it's quite the, the project, but it, it's all starting to come together now. My stress level's starting to kind of drop down. So yeah, everything's starting to come together. So I'm pretty excited about that. 
that's awesome that's awesome to hear dude and i think that brings me on nicely to my next point i was going to ask is just like how, how do you guys objectively measure you know like program success do you guys just go off of things like injury rate are you looking for success rate of guys progressing like you know is there and go through the pipeline you're looking for the guys to get through to that end process you know how, how do you guys typically look at something that is quite hard to manage in terms of like you know the tactical athlete has so many different stresses on them so how do you manage that success ratio to them logical answer is we measure success by production the more people we produce the better we did uh the less injuries we 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 have the better we did okay now as i mentioned we we make a plan and then we capture the information when these people move when they sleep we're capturing all that information about that individual. Um, so from there, we have our strength coaches. They track the physiological profile, okay? Just because they, don't, they may not have a large performance gain in a, in a course, I'm not saying that's wrong, but why did that take place? I think as soon as we can answer the why, that, that starts to dictate success. Okay. Uh, we didn't have a large performance engage, uh, engagement um, in that, that part of the pipeline. Well, let's look into the why. Oh, they're in academic classes and they only have like two training sessions in this eight week block of training. Okay. Are we going to get performance gains during that time? No. But if, if the training group wanted performance gains at that time, then instead of saying, well, I think we need this, I'll be, I'll be like, no, like, here's the data. If you give me, you know, six more training sessions here, we can we can start, you know, potentially seeing a little bit more gain, but it's going to cost you a little bit more time uh, in with our staff. But if you just give us two, that's not going to happen. And the why, uh, why this is taking place is like we just don't have any time built into the calendar for this. So if if that's what you want, we need more time. You need to give us more time. So I think answering the why is going to be the biggest measure of success across our pipeline and we have enough information to be able to to start to tell that story no, that's awesome that's awesome Tyler. i like how you you link that back in as well with just the overall plan for the guys and then just trying to manage that focus throughout like you say if they've got more of a heavy academic caseload sort of thing it's just like right okay you want performance benefits but we're quite narrowed on time so we can't mm-hmm. get that return on that investment time so that's cool to hear um obviously uh, I ask everyone who comes on the, the show, Tyler, just what they, they engage in for their own development and stuff. Um, so on that, could you just give us a book, a app or website recommendation you personally found useful for either your own education or your own development? Yeah, so right now I'm personally working on down-regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, constantly, I have a, a physical rehab product that will be coming out next year or I'm going to see the prototype actually this weekend. Um, between that, doing a bunch of these different uh, projects and then work itself. So mine is down regulation at the moment. And that's through my religion um, and starting to work on, you know, like we always talk about like, you know, we've got the spiritual band at work. We've got physical, psychological, you know, ATP. We've got this whole team. And even in, in my opinion, strength and conditioning, we talk about the importance of recovery. I personally, I think I've been grinding too long. And, and so now I'm, I'm looking for that down regulation, that down kind of more meditation. Um, and, and yeah, just kind of hitting more the recovery aspect because I'm starting to learn like if I just go, 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 eventually something's going to break. Uh, before something breaks and hopefully not my ticker, my heart, right? Uh, I, yeah, I just need to start to dial it back and, and uh, relax. But um, one that I'm something kind of related, healthy gut, healthy you. Uh-huh. Um, that I'm reading that right now. And it's kind of just slow reading so that I kind of understand it a little bit more because it's kind of a, a heavy book. Um, but I'm starting to see the importance of gut health. Uh, you, you can have the best nutrition in the world, but if your gut health 
is, is tore up and we're not absorbing the nutrients and we're not doing a lot of these things. Like, you know, they always say you can't out train a bad diet. Well, <laughs> you can't out, out eat a, a bad gut biome. Um, and that ties into your liver, that ties into your mind, that ties into like all these things are just kind of connected within there. So, uh, but yeah, if I had to give one thing that I'm reading now is, is a healthy gut, healthy you. Um, and it's just in, in small doses um, as it is a heavy book. And, and I've got my other priority of starting to kind of relax a little bit. So, yeah. That's cool, Tyler. Thank you very much for that. I'll make sure I slip that into our show notes as well so anyone can check that out as well. Um, obviously, Tyler, it's been awesome chatting to you, mate. Um, you know, I've taken a ton of notes. Really, really interesting just to hear your career path and like how you've developed your programs and obviously the educational side as well. For anyone who's listening to this who wants to either reach out and get in touch or just learn a bit more, what's the best ways they can do that? Yeah, I mean, you can, you can search just Tyler Christensen and uh, that will that'll uh on linkedin um that's an easy way to find me i think there's only like a few of us but i'm usually at the top there twitter uh tyler john 515 um on twitter i typically only retweet uh funny things uh but i, I do like to engage in conversation on there and then instagram is just official tyler c that's cool thank you very much I'll, once again i'll pop them in our show notes so anyone can reach out of any questions they may have as well. Uh, that's uh, awesome. Tyler, thank you once again, mate. Uh, been a wealth of knowledge, really great chanty. I know we're saying at the start, it took us a little bit of time to get things set up, but as I expected, you know, great things come to those who wait and this has been awesome, mate. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity, John. Thank you very much, Tyler. Hi guys, really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. To continue supporting us, can I ask you to do me a simple favor? First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.